Well, good morning, Door Creek. You slept in, didn't you? Yeah, I used to see you guys at the 9 o'clock, but you showed up at the 1045. I caught you. Hey, it's good to be together. So I got to tell you our funny story this week because we had our bag packed. And uh, it was in the dining room ready to go. It was Thursday night. Lori and I had to run some errands, went out to eat. We came back and I heard those dreaded words. Uh-oh. That could only mean one thing when we walk into the house and someone says, uh-oh, Lovey, our yellow lab, has been on the prowl. I remember specifically scouring the kitchen to make sure there wasn't anything on a counter, anything anywhere. You got a lab too, right? You know what I'm talking about. We've never had a lab like this. He's got a, dog, he's got a nose like a, a drug-sniffing dog. He can, he can smell anything. So he got near the bag, and he smelled that there was pasta. I didn't know dry pasta smelled, but he ripped through the bag. He pulled out the bag of spaghetti, and he ate the whole box and most of the spaghetti, and then there's like a million fragments of spaghetti, and Hoover doesn't have a vacuum cleaner that can get that stuff. And so Lori and I are picking it off the floor, but you know, how can you get mad at a dog that looks like this? You know, RD keeps showing the twins, and I don't got twins, and I don't got little kids anymore. But I got a great dog. We named him Lovey after Lovey Smith. I know that's going to, you're going to really love this, Packer fans, because two weeks after we named him Lovey, her and Lovey, Lovey got fired. All right, so I'm looking at all these bags. I'm going, wow. I'm thinking, literally, our kids last week brought in hundreds of bags. And so for the leaders who took pies in the face, bless you. And then I have kind of mixed emotions about our student ministries meeting their goal of 250 bags because I said kind of off the, I wasn't thinking, I said, hey, Darren, I used to do this when I was a youth pastor. Tell the kids if they meet their goal of 250 bags, I will swallow a live goldfish. So I kind of have mixed feelings about them hitting their goal. And no, it won't be a big koi, but a little one. And it's not a cracker. It's the real thing. And I I have mixed feelings about that. Well, it's been a great week in the life of our church. And today, as uh, we move forward in rooted in the teachings from the Bible to help us understand all that it means to be grounded in Christ for the good of the world, we're going to be talking about being rooted in justice and mercy. And when we come to this topic, I have to say, I feel like a kindergartner in a PhD course, or even worse, a kindergartner trying to teach a PhD course. It's a little bit out of my depth. No, it's a lot out of my depth. So let me tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, so it's the first suburb north of Chicago. And here's a picture of the house that I grew up in. It's a little wood block I've got at home and just took a picture, 2735 Prairie Avenue. And all my growing up years, we're uh, spending that home with my three sisters, my parents. I have all kinds of great memories about that neighborhood. And uh, I think of the wards and the six kids across the street, Mr. Um, Walters, who taught me how to play golf, and we set up a, a little wiffle ball golf course, and he and I used to play there. I, I think of all the kids that would gather, and whatever the sport was, the season was, we were playing football, we were playing baseball, we were playing basketball. And uh, it it was great. It was kind of a middle to upper middle class, predominantly white. It was very different, though, from my experience day to day at school. So like at Evanston Township High School, 4,500 students, a large school, 40% African-American. 
And as I went to school, I never thought about it because it was just the way it was. But looking back, I realized I always had to cross the canal to get to school. And as I crossed the canal, that's where my friends who are African-American lived. They, they lived on the other side. And so there was this divide north and south and the black community kind of separated from the white community. And I'd have some of my friends come over to the house and we'd shoot hoops over in, in, in the back of the garage by the alley there and we had a great time. But I realized that when I picked up a basketball that I'd lent to my friend Steve Lackey that his world and my world were really different. And uh, we didn't just live in different neighborhoods. We were living in two different realities. But honestly, I didn't really get it. I remember growing up at this great church on the North Shore. Taught the Bible. It was always pointing to Jesus. Man, it was really all about missions and making sure people heard about Jesus. And, you know, I, I kind of grew up missing this important part of the Bible, this important part of God's heart. I, I, I never heard a sermon about the poor, our response to the poor. I, I never heard anything about how we should think about refugees or immigrants or prisoners or widows and orphans. I never really heard any teaching about racism. I, I just never heard about that. I, I, I felt like growing up, I, I just missed that part you ever heard yourself say that? I, I, I miss that. I miss that part growing up. And I don't want us to miss it today. See, if we understand the gospel, then we, we, we are not going to miss this part that we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved by God's grace. And I don't want you to miss that. And if we're saved by God's grace through faith in his son, I don't want us to miss that the true character of, of true faith is that, that it manifests itself in good works. I don't want us to miss that, that it's not just what I believe, it's actually my faith and relationship with Christ means he has authority over every area of my life. He's not a category in my life. He's king over all of my life. And so whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm thinking, wherever I'm going, I'm, I'm going with Jesus and living for Jesus. And I don't want us to miss that part. I don't want us to miss the part that when God calls us to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, that the part of the good works include doing justice and loving mercy. And I don't want us to miss this whole important teaching so that we go, well, I'm a pretty good person. I try to be really nice to people, but we don't really understand justice and we're not pursuing it and doing it and acting justly and loving and extending mercy, then we're missing the part that is at God's heart. So here's the key verse for today. Micah chapter six, verse eight. Why don't we just read that out loud together? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is where we're going today. And as we go there, I want us to just be reminded about kind of what we've been learning from Rooted. 
So let's go to the illustrations here. The first one reminds us that we're grounded in Christ. We have this relationship with God through Christ. So Christ is the vine and then we are the branches. That's Jesus teaching. RD was unpacking that week too from John 15. The next slide reminds us that the way that we come into that relationship is by God's grace through faith in God's son. And if we are truly in Christ, that's when we have roots because a branch doesn't have roots apart from the vine. So we have rootedness and stability and growth and life in Christ. And if we're bearing fruit, it's because we're connected. And so that which is rooted is to grow. Next slide reminds us that the fruit that's growing in our life is Christ's character and it's these good works. And the next slide reminds us that these works have to do with justice and mercy and working those out through the spheres of our relationships with each other, our neighbor, the city that God has planted us in and the community surrounding Madison as well as the world. So there's three questions we're gonna work through. The first is this, what is justice? How does the Bible work that out? The second is, what is the motivation or why do justice? And then third is, so what exactly does that look like when we're doing life here together in Dane County? So the first question, what is justice? So when you think about justice, think about the word right. So when you think about justice, justice is doing the right thing and making things right. It's doing the right thing and making things right that obviously aren't right. They're off, they're twisted, they're broken. Doing right, making right. It's a byproduct, it's what happens when we're truly loving our neighbor as ourself. It's a byproduct. When we truly love our neighbor, know our neighbor, know all that's going on, justice flows from that. So does mercy. It's a result of the, the golden rule. We were reading in Matthew 7 this week, if you're going through the New Testament reading plan, it's a great way to get deeper in Christ. Go through the word, right? So in chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus says, so in everything, do to others what you want them to do to yourself. And in this, It sums up all of the Old Testament law and what the prophets spoke about. It's all about loving your neighbor as yourself. Justice is doing the right thing and justice is about making things right. So that's caring for people who are on the wrong side of injustice. They've experienced injustice and it's actually moving towards injustice, whether it's personal or whether it's it's systemic and being part of turning that around and making it right, taking the crooked thing and straightening it out. There's a corrective and a restorative side to justice. So when you think about justice, it's doing the right thing and making things right. When you think about mercy, I want you to think about kindness. So the word, in the original language of the Old Testament, Hebrew, is this word for loving kindness. So mercy is different than encouragement in that mercy moves towards those who are in misery, they're suffering. And so it's kindness to those who are in misery. And justice and mercy 
are the things that we learn more and more about as we keep our eye on God and the God of the Bible, as we see God's character lived out in Christ over the years that he lived here and the record that we have of him doing justice and loving mercy and loving the Father with all his heart, his neighbor as himself. We read this in Psalm 146 about God's justice. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. So you look at these verbs. He executes justice. He gives food. He sets the prisoner free. He frees them. He opens the eyes. He heals. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He encourages. He exalts. He loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourner, the immigrant, the refugee. He upholds, strengthens the widow and the orphan. And he also executes justice. He makes things right. In Deuteronomy 4, we are reminded again of God's mercy throughout the scriptures. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. When Moses pled with God, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. And God said, you go hide behind that rock and I'm just going to give you a glimpse. I'm just going to let you look at my shadow. And we, when he revealed himself to Moses, what he reveals in terms of his primary character is that he is a God who is full of mercy. This is who God is. Now here's the problem with justice. Most of us go, I think I'm doing okay here because I don't do these kinds of things. And to be sure, that's part of doing justice. There's this commitment of negation whereby I'm not going to do the things that are unjust. So for example, I'm not going to show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the rich. Leviticus 19.15. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to deny or pervert justice. Exodus 23.3. I'm not going to be hard-hearted and indifferent. And I'm not going to be tight-fisted towards the poor. Deuteronomy 15.7. I'm not going to take advantage. I'm not going to mistreat. I'm not going to oppress. Oppress. Exodus 22. And we can go, check, 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 check. I got it. We got half of it. And then we're reminded it's not just doing right, it's making things right. And so just as there's a, a commitment of a life of negation of what we're not going to do as we relate with others in our lives and in our world, we are also making a positive commitment to move towards and to confront those who are suffering injustice. So we have teachings like this. We're called to defend the fatherless and the widow, to love the alien, to give food and clothing to the poor and the marginalized, Deuteronomy 10.18. We're called to maintain the rights of the poor, to maintain the rights of the oppressed, to rescue the weak and the needy, to deliver them from the hand of the wicked, Psalm 82.3 and 4. We're called to care for justice for the poor, Proverbs 29.7. And so just as we go check, 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 check on the things that we're not supposed to do, then we get to the harder category and we start asking ourselves these questions. So who have I defended? Whose rights have I maintained? Who have I rescued, delivered, been kind to, lent something to, cared about? 
What injustice have I confronted? Are we aware of them? If not, it actually may be because we don't know people that are living a whole different reality. So when Pastor G tells me about the story about him being in the church parking lot and the police coming up to him and checking it out, I'm going, I, I've, not, I've not had that reality. There are a lot of privileges we have, and I'm looking at a majority audience of, of white brothers and sisters. A, a lot of our world's reality is so different. And the part that I didn't get growing up, even though I, I, I lived among a lot of people of color, a lot of people who are in a different world, I, I'm getting to know more and more about it through relationships, hanging out at a place like Shank Elementary School. I'm learning a lot. I'm seeing a world that I never see in Madison when I walk through the doors of Shank. And it's good. So, what is justice? Doing the right thing, making things right. What is mercy? Kindness to people in misery who are suffering. All right, let's talk about the motivation. Why would we do this? Well, the first thing has everything to do with where the Bible story starts out. So, in the beginning, God created, not just the heavens and the earth out of nothing, through the power of his word, spoke it into place. But we also know that he created us in the image of God, male and female in the image of God. So all of us are created in the image of God and that is a defining truth that is foundational for how we see people. So how we see people could be a lot. You could see people looking around, you go, well, they're older, they're younger. They've got this color skin, they've got that color skin. They've got an accent, they don't. There's a lot of different ways that we start seeing people, but when we're seeing people with God's eyes, we understand that everybody we see, even irregardless of what they do or have done, they're created in the image of God and they have dignity. So Psalm 8 says, they're crowned with glory and honor. It doesn't mean what they're doing is always glorious and honorable, but because of who they are created in the image of God, that changes how I see people and how I treat people. That's huge. So in Proverbs 19:17, we read this proverb. He who lends to the he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. You're kind, you're giving to someone who's poor, you're actually, the proverb says, doing it to God. How in the world? I didn't give it to God. I didn't bring it to church. I gave it to this person. Created the image of God, okay? The image of God. Then what I would say is the fuel for all justice making and all mercy giving is grace. Grace is the fuel. It's the primary motivator and the grace of God can't be separated from the gospel of God that is all about the son of God who came and lived a perfect life to die on the cross in our place so the gospel says Mark you're a sinner you've rejected God rebelled against him you've been doing life on your own and because you decided to cut yourself off from the source of life you deserve to die you've committed treason against the king of the universe 
I deserve God's justice, but Christ comes down who doesn't deserve God's justice and he takes on the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserved on the cross so that we could receive God's mercy, something we didn't deserve. And we keep going back over the grace of God in Christ who lived a perfect life and gave up his life for people who didn't give a rip about him and hated him. He didn't want anything to do with him. That is huge in what motivates us because the grace of God has made us right before God. The grace of God allows us to live rightly with each other. The grace of God has kept me from the judgment of God through faith in his son and it positions me to live a life of justice and mercy as that grace in me starts moving through me. We could talk about the mission of God. This is what God's doing in this world. He is making all things right. Everything that's twisted and broken that's under the curse, Jesus came to make it right. And we're part of a church that he's built and building that's part of his mission to take the things that are twisted and wrong and make them right. People's hearts that are twisted and not right with God and all that's not right in this world. And we're ambassadors of this king and the church is an embassy of this God and we know where it's going. We know that the end of the story is in Christ all things will be reconciled. All the injustices that have kind of gone under the radar, all the things that have happened like that, it'll all come out and it'll all be made right as God brings justice and extends mercy to those who place their faith. And so we know where the story is going and we're living out the story as we share it and as we demonstrate it, moving God's purposes forward. The mission of God motivates us. The judgment of God I don't know about you, but God's judgment, as severe as it is, is always a grace in my life to know that my life matters today. My choices have consequences. I I know that your sins will find you out, and as much as I think I could do something again, I, I just know it's gonna come out. And God knows, and and I've got to stand before a holy God, and this isn't a charade here. And so actually, the judgment of God is a grace in our life to go, it matters how we live. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25, speaking of the last judgment. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger needing clothes, or sick in prison, and did not help you? We missed that part. We don't remember that. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, then they will go away to the eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So God in his grace inform, sustain, compel us to live a life overflowing with good works that are marked by doing justice and loving mercy. So let's talk about that. So what does that look like? 
in 2016? What does it look like as you go to school? What does it look like as you go to work? What does it look like as you live in that apartment on the dorm floor? What does it look like in your neighborhood? Well, I want us to take a few lessons from the prophets because the prophets are always bringing up this accusation of these charges of injustice against God's people. And what I note here from the prophets is their problems of loving their neighbor and acting justly had a pre-existing condition. The first thing that went wrong was not that they trashed their neighbor. The first thing that went wrong is they were out of step with God. They weren't aligned with God, with his heart. How do we know that? Well, they're putting up all these other altars and sacrificing sacrifices to other gods their trust isn't in God to save them from the enemies around but to build alliances with others their religious leaders are are far away from God they're accepting bribes they're leading people to worship other gods and what's broken in their relationships with each other where they're trashing the vulnerable in their own family has everything to do with the pre-existing condition of their hearts aren't right with God. So we're never going to get this justice thing right if we're not rooted in God's grace and in a vibrant relationship where Christ's spirit in us and his word that the spirit uses to guide us is helping us know when we get it right and when we haven't gotten it right. We remember that. There's a second lesson from the prophets. And it goes like this. Injustice was an Israelite problem. Now there's a lot of ites in the Old Testament. There's the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the ites and all the other ites are pagans. And the Assyrians are gonna lead people away and the Babylonians are gonna lead the people in Isaiah's day away. But the problem that the prophets point out is not injustice out in the world. It's injustice right there in the midst of of God's people and that's humbling as we walk humbly before God to know as we look within that we're not only capable of injustice but we've probably actually committed things that weren't fair that weren't right there are times where we have caused suffering not just help alleviate suffering not only capable but complicit and that's very very humbling in his book just mercy brian stevenson an outstanding book by the way just mercy by brian stevenson the founder of equal justice initiatives tells the story of jimmy dill this convicted murderer who had been scheduled for execution in the state of alabama he's working with him he gets the case 30 days before his execution in his chapter entitled broken stevenson reflects on our common story of brokenness. And it gets to this whole matter of humility. When I hung up the phone that night, I had a wet face and a broken heart. I thought myself a fool for having tried to fix situations that were so fatally broken. I worked in a broken system of justice. My clients were broken by mental illness, poverty, and racism. They were torn apart by disease, drugs, and alcohol, pride, fear, and anger. And in their broken state, they were judged and condemned by people whose commitment to fairness had been broken by cynicism, hopelessness, and prejudice. After working for more than 25 years, I understood that I do what I do because I'm broken too. 
my years of struggling against injustice had finally revealed something to be about myself. Being close to suffering, death, executions, and cruel punishments didn't just illuminate the brokenness of others. It also exposed my own brokenness. We all share the condition of brokenness. I desperately wanted mercy for Jimmy Dill and would have done anything to create justice for him, but I couldn't pretend that his struggle was disconnected from my own. The ways in which I've been hurt and have hurt others are different from the ways Jimmy Dill suffered and caused suffering, but our shared brokenness connected us. It's a problem of God's people, not just of the other people. The prophets also warn us about covering up injustice with religious activity, getting us to think that we're truly rooted and devoted to a relationship with God when it's all a ruse, a sham. The people in Isaiah's day are bringing all these sacrifices. These people in Isaiah's day are practicing all these religious fasts. But underneath the activity, religious activity, was spiritual decay. And they didn't see the decay because they plastered it over with their religious doing. And God makes it clear that worship fundamentally is about obedience. And you may bring the sacrifice, you may go into the fast, but if you are not loving your neighbor as yourself, you are not living a life of worship. And so we're in a dangerous place, even as we sit here, as I preach and teach right now, that we could confuse religious ritual for the hard work of loving our neighbor. Oh, I'm good with God. I'm tight with God. I worship God. Not if we turn an indifferent eye, a hard heart, towards those who are the most vulnerable around us. There's some lessons from Jesus. What we know is a life of doing justice does not guarantee safe passage. You do the right thing, then it's all gonna be good. No, it wasn't for Jesus. Nobody ever did it more perfectly right than him. And wow, I mean, when he's talking about God's love for all people and he included the Gentiles in his first sermon back home in Nazareth, here's what they did. They grabbed a hold of him. An angry mob mocked, marched him to the outside part of town up on this hill where they're ready to push him over and destroy him. It doesn't guarantee safe passage. We look at the life of Jesus and we understand if we're committed to loving our neighbor and doing justice and loving mercy, it's going to require sacrifice. Jesus disadvantaged himself for the advantage of others. He gave up his life so that we could live. And it requires that. And if you're like me, we don't have that unless we've got new hearts from Christ, his power in us. We don't have that. So let's bring it home. I don't want us to miss this part. We're saved by God's grace through faith in his son. But that faith can't be alone. We're saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. It shows up in good works, and good works are never enough if it doesn't include doing justice, loving mercy. I don't want us to miss that part. I don't want us to miss the, the easy errors to go, well, here's what I'm about. 
I want to tell everybody about Jesus so their hearts can be made right. That is so hugely important because Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God's kingdom and he came in demonstration of that as he took the things that were broken and twisted and he healed them and cast out the demons and made things right the precursor of him making all things right so we need to stay balanced we need to as we say in our fourth value have a joyful witness where we're sharing and we're living we're proclaiming and we're demonstrating and we hold on to those like two wings of an aircraft because if we were we're not going to fly very far we're not going to get up in the air it's not going to happen we don't want to miss it when the needs of the world overwhelm us we pray and we give and when you give here you're making a difference as we connect to partners like World Relief and places like Mozambique and Vision Trust and places like Monrovia, Liberia, as we partner with partners in Haiti and Honduras, in South Dakota, and in the inner city of New Orleans, right here in our own schools. But listen to some of the statistics right here. In our day, in our world, they're overwhelming. 60 million refugees, 20 of them, a third of them, are displaced out of their home country. Think Syria. Poverty, three billion people, almost half the world's population, live on less than $2.50 a day. $2.50. 115 million widows, and there's a lot more, but 115 living in extreme poverty, and they have a half a billion children who are looking to them for what they can't provide. 120,000 children are going to die today because of poverty. There's 2.6 billion people who don't have adequate basic sanitation. Over a billion that don't have access to clean water. A growing famine right now in Ethiopia. Human slavery. It's not in our rearview mirror. It's right here today. 36 million is the estimate. International Justice Mission. A quarter of those children Think of violence. One in five women today around the world will be a victim of rape or attempted rape. And when, when those things overwhelm us at the magnitude of the brokenness of our world, pray. Pray to the only hope for this world that Jesus and his people would make things right. And we give to God's work that we would join God in his mission of making things right. To be part of that which is going to last forever. So I'd like you to go back to that slide of the concentric circles of doing justice and loving mercy. And start working it out right at the core of the relationships we have in our family, with our friends, our church family. We're called to love each other. And here's what I know. The relationships in our family, in our friends, the people that we work with and go to school with, there's going to be opportunities to come alongside someone who's suffering with mercy. There's going to be opportunities to live rightly and to make things right because there's going to be justice issues. As we work with our neighbors, the neighbors around us and the neighbors in our city and in the world, we're moving towards the vulnerable. We're caring for the people God's placed in our lives, but we're also, we, we can't say, well, they don't live on my street. They're not in my apartment building. 
the, the lie of, of Genesis 4 was, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible, Cain said before God. And God's answer is actually we are. Because we are created in the image of God, we have the same eternal father. We have a responsibility to move and to care for the most vulnerable. That's who Christ came to serve. And he calls us to do the same. So when you think about what we're doing and trying to do as a church through Rooted, we're all about this achievement gap. Boy, are there a lot of different issues in our city? Yeah, a ton of them. But the one that we have our eye on as a church is the achievement gap, which means we've got our eyes on the kids that are on the wrong side of the achievement gap. So we lead the nation in, in one of the saddest categories, and our city is worse than our state. And it's the disparity between the academic accomplishments of a white student and a minority student. So I don't know if you know this, about 90% of our white students will graduate from high school year after year, and only about half of our African-American brothers and sisters. So we want to be a part of a new narrative in our, in our city. And I'm so grateful that God is connecting something in my heart that has never been connected before, that the achievement gap is a reflection of the gap in my own heart of God's heart for this city. And as God's grace fills and informs and fuels my heart, I have a possibility, us together, to actually make a difference in that gap and be part of something that's totally different. And who cares if anybody knows about Door Creek? Who cares? But 50 years from now, may the story go, and there are some people in some churches in this city that leaned into it and moved towards it and loved those children and made a difference and there's a new story. It's not the only thing that's going on in this city, but it's where we're focused. And that's why John and Community Development Ministries has us focused on these partner schools, Shank and Mendota and Westside and Eagle Point. That's why we're encouraging you as a life group, adopt a teacher. Oh man, I love doing that. So you see these bags and go, do they really need it? Well, let me tell you one of the fun things my group does. We go and cook pancakes for the fifth graders at Shank. I have never seen these kids eat so many pancakes at 8.30 in the morning. Let me tell you what Kathy tells me. They're always hungry. That's what we're doing. You look at our rooted initiatives and you think about compassion. This is just an opportunity for us to go, ah, oh, it's just so overwhelming. What can I do? You can give to Rooted, and that means money's going to our partner organizations, the 12 of them that we have internationally, nationally, and locally. And then there's going to be some grassroots things. We can do and make a difference collectively. When we talk about having a multi-site on the north side, it's not because we got thousands of people from Door Creek that live in the neighborhood of Boomerangs. We have hardly anybody. But God's calling us there because it's an underserved community that needs to know about Christ and needs to understand his compassion and his mercy lived out through his son and his son's followers. And so I can't wait for 100 people, families, to be part of establishing a new work. It's going to be hard. 
But I can't tell you how encouraging when Brad sent me the email that was passed on to him. It was a young couple in our church. They said, we're going to Northside. Consider us the first two of the hundred. Yes. So we're doing and rooted. Those are the kinds of kids we hope to serve through our sports ministries. These are the things that are on God's heart. We don't want to miss that part. We want it to be on our hearts. And so let's give of our time, of our expertise, of our resources. Lori and I have just been going through financial peace. Man, that's good. It's so good. Some of us can't give right now because we're upside down. Financial peace is a great gift to you to get that right side up and more importantly to align how you think and use God's money in a way that God wants us to, frees us. So there's all these different lines in our budgets, but there's a line that's missing and I've got a word for it. It's the gleaning line. So God's heart was actually written into the law and it affected things as simple as how you took in the harvest. And it went like this. If you're a farmer, you can't gather to the edge of your crop. Well, you don't ever see that here. I mean, all of the crops are in. Do you see any, anything around the, no way. They get it all. But the principle was this. Leave that for the poor, the widow, the alien from another place who doesn't have family here. So with dignity, they could bring in the food for their family. You had margin and how you took in your crop. If you had windfall, leave it on the ground. If you're taking a shock of wheat and some of it fell, up, oh, that's for the poor, leave it there. And we need to have a line of gleaning so that there's margin in our budgets so that what's growing in our hearts can actually move forward in our day-to-day lives. We get to do something that matters, to be part of what God says is going forward and the gates of hell will not resist the justice of God, the mercy of God going forward and making all things right. And so let's not miss it. Door Creek, wake up. Let's not miss it. Let's go deeper. Let's not, this isn't a slogan. This isn't a campaign. This is living out a life of faith. And I can't do it alone. I'll give up. But we go forward because the gospel reminds us God never gave up and he doesn't give up. And so check out this video and then pray along with our sister, Melody Lynch, as she leads us in prayer. A lot of people see justice as the most futile thing you can do with your life. Give your life completely to business and you see the money piling up. Be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym, and your muscles will grow and your body will look good and you'll see results. But when it comes to justice, it seems like you just can't get ahead. 
You patch up one hole and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake and a tsunami hits. And you work and you work and you work and there's never any profit. There's no bank where you can store a surplus amount of justice in. Stability is never permanent. Something always tips and people always ask, is it even worth it? And that question, though understandable, it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. And it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea. It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to ask it. And you know why they never ask? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer. Family even. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone else's freedom is worth fighting for. But when you begin to identify with that someone else, commune with them, that's when the question is no longer worth asking. That's when it becomes offensive even. What do you mean, is it worth my time? That doesn't even deserve an answer. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how many times we fail. I don't care how little progress is made. You never stop fighting for your own. Let's pray. Father, you are our only hope. Our very lives are dependent on your mercy. We all have sinned and hurt someone and have been hurt. We all stand before you in our brokenness and sin with a need and desire for your mercy. Father, you extend your mercy to each of us. Your mercy never comes to an end. It is new every morning. Please create in us, as your church, a corresponding desire to show mercy to those around us. Please help align our hearts with yours so that we can see the needs, the disparities, the poverty, the inequities, the brokenness, and the marginalized in our community. Help us, Lord, to give voice, to defend and support those who cannot defend and support themselves. Please use us to bless those who live at the margins in Madison. Please use us to extend justice and mercy to them. Father, when that means stepping out of our comfortable lives, give us the courage to step out and to engage and to work at making things right. Help us to follow you, Lord, as you lead us to minister the gospel which is all about extending your mercy. To that end, we commit ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.